Fire in the Mountains, Chapter 5 Shoto was able to realize one thing and one thing in particular over the course of the next several weeks. He was a terrible spy. Really, Fiyumi might have actually been better suited to this after all. She wouldn't have picked a fight with Kotsky that everyone who mattered saw. She would have remembered her manners and smiled in Kotsky's face just like she was supposed to. Shoto was not Fiyumi. Broken ribs, a broken nose and cheekbone, burns all over his body and frostbite too. The soak in the bath had only done so much. Shoto was ordered to bed after that, as was Kotsky, and several servants waited on them hand and foot all day and the next day until May came around to drag them both back to the bath again. Kotsky told him about Mina's tribe while they soaked. He said she was their pride and joy, a strong, fast warrior who'd learned all they had to teach her of alchemy and made up more to go with it. He told Shoto Mina could brew them both a potion to speed up their healing in a, but a few days' time. But when Kotsky had asked her to, she'd told him he deserved the bruises, and Shoto did too. Shoto wasn't sure he would have accepted it, if she offered. There was something invigorating in the healing itself. In waking up in the mornings with all his muscles sore and bruised, in watching the burns on his left hand and the frostbite on his right heal over, and seeing people wince whenever they looked at Shoto's face, he felt like he'd done something. No one in the palace except Inji had dared do more than prod at Shoto during training. It had been years since he'd received an injury that was more than a passing annoyance. He wouldn't have given up the satisfaction of watching the scars form. Magic drenched soaks in the tub were required every day until the burns and scrapes were entirely gone, and since Kotsky and Shoto required the same treatment, May said they might as well soak together. Shoto wasn't sure why he didn't argue more fiercely. Because maybe he liked hearing about Mina's tribe, and Mina too. And just before May arrived to announce they could get out again, Kotsky's eyes had gone a little distant and said, She's the best. Obstinately, the best her tribe had to offer. But Shoto had seen between the lines, too. There was no doubt in his mind now that Kotsky really did care about his people. And that, that was strange. Perhaps because if Kotsky loved Mina and Danki and Kiri, then maybe, maybe he hadn't ever intended to hate Shoto. The next day, Kotsky told him about Danki's people. They were nomadic, and they followed storms. They drew power from the air during a lightning storm, and they could tell when one would strike. And if it was going to be a very dangerous storm, they could pull it out of the sky. Denki, Kotsky said, could swallow up more lightning than anyone. He could save it for later, and use it when he needed it. 
but sometimes if he used too much, it cooked his brain for a while. His people don't know how to make it stop, because they've never had someone who could suck up that much power once before. Kotsky shrugged. He told Shoto a lot of things about a lot of people and places and barbarian traditions, and at the end of it, when Mei checked the worst of Shoto's burns and saw that they were only scars now, when she declared her potions and oils had done all they could and Shoto's bones were the only thing left trying to knit back together, Shoto realized Kotsky hadn't said a single word about where he came from and what his traditions were. Shoto hadn't either. After the burns were gone, Kotsky healed much faster than Shoto. He was right back to stomping around the castle in a week, and the day May declared Kotsky fully healed again, Kiri, Denki, and Mina spent every chance they got with their hands all over his body, so that by the time Shoto deliberately put down the book he was reading and lay down in his bed, he knew exactly what would happen. At least they waited until they thought he was asleep, and they tried to be quiet. Shoto could tell because when Kiri's voice got all high and breathy, Mina, Dinky, and Kotsky all hissed at him to shut up or he'd wake up Shoto. Kiri's voice sounded like it was coming through a pillow after that. Shoto was just thankful for the silk screen he'd set up in front of his bed. It had arrived with the rest of his things, and he used it to block his direct view into the center of the room. It was easy to see around, but at least when he was lying down, he couldn't see them, and they couldn't see him. Shoto managed to ignore it that time, and the time after that, and the time after that too. He quickly gained a reputation for being a very heavy sleeper, although, given the cost the conversation with about Kiri in the tub, Shoto wondered if Kotsky really believed it. He was glad for Ida. Terribly glad. The barbarian seemed to like him, which might have puzzled Shoto weeks ago since Ida was so very different from them. But now he was beginning to see that everyone was different in the Outlands. It was a kingdom of mismatched villages to begin with. Everyone had their own clothes and magic and gods and traditions. Ida may have been the type of man to adhere unflappably to, court eti to courtly etiquette, but he was kind, and the barbarians could tell, and they liked him. He was utterly appalled by Shoto's entire situation. They hadn't had time to really talk the day Ida arrived, but they had plenty of time after. Kotsky really didn't seem to have much use for Shoto, and he was mostly left to do whatever he wanted. Which was overwhelming and decidingly disconcerting, considering Shoto's schedule had always been decided for him, mostly down to the hour. Shoto felt that he was going a little mad, turned loose on a castle, and told to entertain himself. Shoto put off the whole explaining 
of the multiple spouses situation as long as he could. Ida's polite observation allowed Shoto to avoid proper explanation for about three days. During which time, no one explicitly told him who Mina, Dinky, and Kiri were, or why the king seemed so familiar with them. They were alone in Kotsky's library, Shoto settling very carefully into one of the low, wooden chairs the barbarians were so fond of, when Ida said carefully, Um, your highness. Yes, Ida. Shoto said tiredly, and then he paused and corrected. Tenya. Ida looked at him and raised his brows. My lord, I, uh, I'm adapting to these outland customs, I think, but there is still something that confuses me. Shoto looked down at the healing burns on his left hand and knew he couldn't dodge or obfuscate or ignore a direct question. Ida was the closest thing Shoto had to a friend, and the only other person who would understand how unbalanced all the outland customs had left him. Yes. King Kotsky is, ah. Uh, Ida paused, face very stern, and then said, he seems quite close with those people. Um, Lady Mina, Lord Denki, Lord Kiri. Shoto lifted his head and was glad that Kotsky kept his physical affections limited, mostly, to the bedroom. If one of the others had kissed him in front of Ida, Shoto wasn't sure that Ida, what Ida would have done. Probably fallen over from sheer shock. They do things differently, Shoto said with another sigh. We didn't know. Ida sat down, looking a little shocked as he fell into the seat. They were so much lower than Shoto and Ida had been used to. Shoto glanced around to make sure they were still alone and said, They're married to him too, Tenya. Ida's eyes got very wide, and his mouth stayed in a care very careful thin line. Excuse me? They're not monogamous. They take as many husbands and wives as they want, Shoto explained. And they, they don't really do it for, for politics like we do. Kotsky said, Ida's lips quirked once, and he didn't make a sound. The king said they only marry for love. Shoto sighed. And it's very important you don't include this in any of your letters home. Shoto added suddenly. I honestly think that father would consider this a dissolution of the treaty, and I don't think any of us really want that. He said. Shoto paused in order to, in. Shoto paused to reorder his thoughts a little. A strange bubbling in his stomach. 
as far as they are concerned, the king and I aren't really married. We have to live together for several months, and then there would be another ceremony. Ida narrowed his eyes. You're right. Your father wouldn't like this. No, Shoto agreed. How do you expect to keep this from him, your highness, and for how long? Shoto shook his head. I don't know. It was true. He really didn't. He couldn't keep this up indefinitely, of course. He hadn't exactly intended on being here forever. Inji still wanted as much of the Outlands as he could get his hands on. Shoto was just a way in. And then Shoto had a very interesting thought. That perhaps Inji had known about Kotsky's marital status all along. That maybe he'd built in a reason to dissolve the treaty from the start. His son, in disgrace, married off under false pretenses. It wasn't a terrible reason to start a war. With the right spin, Inji could even call Shoto kidnapped, held against his will by the heathens in the mountains. It wasn't, if Shoto was any judge, an awful plan. He married all three of them for love, Ida asked musingly, interrupting Shoto's thoughts. <laughs> I thought it was difficult finding one lover. Shoto looked around at Ida in shock and found him watching Shoto with an uncharacteristically mischievous tilt to his lips. I suppose he has something barbarians like, Shoto said with a smirk of his own. I find him completely intolerable, but for some reason these people like him. Ida's mischievous smile softened a little. Completely intolerable, your highness? Shoto didn't like the sadness in Ida's voice. He tried to disguise it but Shoto saw it for what it was. Yes, he said. He's short-tempered, unpredictable, rude, violent. Ida was smiling at him. What? Nothing, your highness, Ida said quickly, schooling his face into a more appropriate expression. I'm sorry to hear you dislike him so much. That was an understatement. I would expect no less from the king of the Outlands, Shoto muttered. It was a few days after that when Ida actually saw where Shoto slept. Shoto hadn't meant to show him, really. He'd spent the afternoon walking around the castle with Ida, and another hour throwing firebursts and ice spears at Ida's request while Ida practiced dodging them. Shoto's ribs were still restricted in his movements fairly dramatically, but he could at least do that. And after, Ida had, ex had escorted him back to his room. And Ida had opened the door, and Shoto strolled in and hadn't thought of it at all until he realized the door hadn't closed behind him. He turned around to see Ida standing on the threshold with bright red cheeks and a tightness in his skin around his eyes, like he was about to start screaming, but was far too cultured to do so. 
Shudo winced and sighed and didn't even bother coming up with some kind of explanation. You all sleep together? Ida whispered in shock. We all have our own beds, Shoto said reasonably, even though Ida could very obviously see the bed in the middle of the room. I see, Ida said stiffly. I need a nap, Shoto told him. My magic hasn't really returned yet. I'm tired. Of course, your highness. Shoto shut the door in his face and practically fell into his bed. He hadn't been bluffing. He really was exhausted. He fell asleep rather quickly and came wide awake when the door banged open and then shut again, and he heard two people come shuffling into the room. Shoto had never heard anyone slam that door before, and he almost sat up, heart hammering to find out what was wrong. But then he heard Denki's voice. He didn't actually say anything, he just groaned. And suddenly the sound Shoto was hearing resolved. Frantic, breathless kissing, tearing aside clothing. They made a muffled little thump when they fell into bed together, and then Kotsky said, Fuck. I'm gonna fuck the shit out of you, sunshine. Come here, turn over, let me... No. Dinky fucking moaned, and Shoto felt fire flare into his cheeks. They weren't even trying to be quiet. They... They didn't know Shoto was there. Fuck you mean? No. Bitch, turn over, Kotsky said sharply. No, no, no. Denki whined at him. Kotsky, suck me off first. Fuck. Seriously? Kotsky said wryly. Don't you know I'm a king? You should be sucking my dick, Static. Kotsky, Denki said sharply. You're a greedy fucking whore, you know that? There was a brief pause during which Shoto sound, heard the sounds of a sudden sharp scuffle, and then Denki groaned again. Pull my hair again, Denki. I fucking dare you. What are you gonna do? Kotsky paused, and Shoto's heart hammered, and he hated, hated, hated that he wanted to know what the answer was. Shoto didn't actually hear the answer. Kotsky whispered it. So Shoto could only hear a soft, gentle muffle of air, and then Denki started panting and groaning again, and said again, Fuck, please, Kotsky. Say it again, Kotsky said. He almost sounded bored. Please. One more time. Fuck, please suck my dick. 
And then Denki moaned long and loud, and Shoto could hear a long, wet slurp of a sound, and he clapped his hand over his mouth and tried to lay still, and had never felt so much like he needed to just run. His fingers and toes were tingling, and his brain was uncomfortably empty, so all he could hear was Denki and Kotsky. It was nothing like the other times he had heard them together. They were being so loud and fuck the way they were talking to each other. Shoto had heard them whisper at each other before, but not like this. And sometimes he heard them shift in the bed and heard them grunt and it sounded almost like they were fighting or wrestling maybe. And Denki was just shamelessly loud. He kept yelling, fuck, and yes, yes, suck my cock. And once Shoto heard a sharp, wet pop, and then Kotsky said, I swear to fuck, Danky, stop pulling my hair or I'm gonna tie you down. Oh, shit, you won't like it, Kotsky said flatly. Mina and Kiri can help too, you little slut. Fuck, fuck, use your fingers, put your fingers inside of me. Shoto's stomach lurched and he squeezed his eyes shut. He should have left when they first came in. He should have, but now they'd know he'd been listening. There was no way he'd been sleeping through this. Dinky suddenly cut the air in the room with the longest, loudest, filthiest moan Shoto had ever heard, and Kotsky actually laughed a little. <laughs> what, really? Is that all? Dinky made the sound again, longer and fuck, louder, and then Kotsky said, Oh, we should use one of those toys. What do you mean to do with them? Oh, fuck. Shit. That's... Oh, shit. Where are they, Dinky? I can't. Fuck. Oh, you... Shit. Koski snickered again. Shoto felt like he was one erratic breath away from setting his own bedclothes on fire. He'd already had to face a lot of very uncomfortable truths in a very short period of time living in this room, but this was a step above. They were so loud and rude to each other, and Denki seemed to like it when Denki, when Kotsky talked to Denki like that, and it was just... Shoto couldn't take it. Kotsky must have... Shoto couldn't even think about it with his mouth again because Denki's voice suddenly got very high and very sharp and that went on for long enough that Shoto started to question every single choice he'd ever made in his life that made, led him up to this place. Denki got quiet and said, No, come on. Do you know where they are? Breathlessly, Denki hissed, oh, Over, over there, right. 
and then they got blissedly quiet for a second until Shoto heard them open something. A case, maybe. He could only hear the click of latches and the slide of hard leather. And then Kotsky said, Pick one. And then, Seriously, Denki? We'll be here all fucking night. Come on. That thing's bigger than I am. You trying to hurt my feelings? Shit, that thing's almost as big as Kiri. And then Shoto heard them kiss. Ask me nicely. Kotsky, please fuck me with that. Kotsky snorted in amusement and said, <laughs> Fine, you greedy bitch. Where's the oil? And you better not come until I'm done and I say so. Like I got all fucking day. He muttered under his breath. Shit. You're just hoping Kiri shows up, aren't you? You better hope her little princess doesn't walk in. You'll scar him for life. Lay down. No, on your back, you idiot. But I... Back. Hands behind your knees. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Shoto had never watched any of the things they did together when they thought he was asleep. But this time... He almost wished he had. Knowing what was happening would have been better somehow. Just hearing all of that, trying to guess. <clears throat> and Denki just, his voice was so high and sharp and breathless, and Kotsky kept whispering horrible, dirty things that made Shoto's whole body heat, and his stomach turned in embarrassment. When he started talking about Denki's asshole, Shoto wondered if he might stop his own ears with ice. Or maybe he should just burn them off. Shoto could hear the oil. He could hear how, how slow Kotsky was. And then voice, Denki's voice just stopped, just evaporated, and the Oil was all Shoto could hear, and then almost, I think. Yeah. Kotsky's voice was so amused, so pleased with himself when he said, Ah, there. And when he said it, Dinky sucked in a huge breath breath like he'd been stuck underwater and started up with that horrible whining sound again and Kotsky said good sunshine Dinky actually didn't say words want me to suck your cock now sunshine Dinky gasped again and then yes 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 fuck fuck Kotsky said very warningly you better not come the second I get my lips on you. If we're gonna spend 30 fucking minutes stretching you open like that, you better at least let me enjoy watching you squirm for a while. Dinky made a wordless sound of affirmation, and then he started yelling and sobbing again, and Kotsky was... he was most certainly 
with his mouth. His mouth. He was with his lips and his tongue, and he was always scowling and smiling all vicious and saying horrible cursed things, too. And that mouth was pure adulterated horror spiked through Shoto's body when he realized what having to listen to this was doing to him. He'd been able to listen to so much and had only felt shame and embarrassment and disdain, disgust. So why was he now? Why? Oh, fuck. Kotsky, fuck. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Bitch, you better. Sh- shit. Your, your mouth. Fucking right. Shoto squeezed his eyes shut and sucked his knees together and he hissed furiously in his head. Not now, not now, not now, not... Why was he so... All those wet sounds multiplied and Shoto knew there was no way Kotsky was making all of them with just his mouth. He must have been doing something with... Whatever he used to, Shoto swallowed hard, furious with himself for feeling this way, for how blindingly hot the idea of Kotsky was with his mouth made him. It squirmed under Shoto's skin until he felt like he was going to burn everything down just to release the heat. It was too much. His heart was beating so fast it hurt. How could he possibly feel this way, hearing something so disgustingly obscene? How could they even do this to themselves, to each other? Why did Dinky like it so much? God, God, oh, fuck, oh, 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 shit. Uh, I want, I need to. Kotsky made a sound that was very clearly encouraging, very clearly assenting, and very clearly by muff- muffled by Kotsky having his mouth full. The sound Dinky made then undid Shoto in a way he had never felt before. It felt like something physical. And he was squeezing his knees together so hard that for one horrible, terrible, disgusting moment, he thought he might actually... Kotsky said, I can fuck you now, or you can suck me off and keep that thing inside of you. Which do you want? Oh, fuck, hug me. Dinky hissed very weakly. And Kotsky did. He was loud about it, too, in a different way. And something about it, the way Kotsky moaned and grunted. Shoto was sure it would live in his head forever. He'd never be rid of this. He felt exhausted by the time Kotsky came, and they finally both just stopped. 
He'd been holding his whole body so tense and tight, and he hadn't really noticed until they were done, and Shoto could finally relax. Shoto waited until he was sure they were asleep, and he rushed out. He tried not to look. He tried very hard not to notice anything, but he couldn't help it. He snuck past like some filthy, disgusting voyeur, and it was simply impossible not to see the way they were both sprawled out. Dinky was on his stomach, arms and legs thrown out to the sides, snoring lightly. His chest was half on top of Kotsky's, who was lying on his back, one knee bent and one hand behind his head. They were both incredibly naked and could not even co- were not even covered. And fuck, Shoto could actually see the wet sheen of oil on Denki's skin and... That was not oil. That was probably... There was something else on the bed, too. Something that, based on Shoto's very quick-glancing look, was made of polished stone. It was shaped vaguely like a phallus, flared at the base and tapered at the tip, except it looked far too big to be useful, and that is what they'd... what Denki had let Kotsky use to... How? Shoto was so shocked he actually stopped walking, and then his eyes flickered over to the two sleeping men, like he could somehow figure out the impossibility of it just by looking. And hadn't Kotsky said that thing was... that Kiri was... Shoto caught his breath, and then movement made his blood run cold. But when his eyes jumped to Kotsky's face, the little flickering smile he could have sworn he'd seen wasn't. Kotsky was sleeping, napping. Very clearly, they were both dead to the world. And after an encounter like that, Shoto wasn't surprised. They'd have to be. Shoto slipped out and paced and paced and paced. It was well over an hour later that he finally decided a bath. A bath was all he needed. Would settle the strange, fizzy feeling under his skin that he could just forget everything he heard. A bath. The baths were empty, and Shoto iced the door handle before he undressed so no one could come in. He wasn't sure if he could handle looking at anybody right now, much less seeing someone naked. He wasn't even comfortable being naked himself, couldn't bear to look down at his own chest as he stripped and lowered himself into the water, and then it was quiet. The baths were always quiet. Shoto liked when the quiet, except now. Now he could hear other things, Things he wished he couldn't. Things that made him feel like his blood was boiling. Like if he didn't... He might scream if he didn't. It happened even more quickly than it had the handful of times he'd done this before. When he was much younger. Much more foolish. 
He'd barely taken himself in his fist before he was... But then, it didn't really help. It certainly didn't offer the relief he'd been vainly hoping for. He was just as mortified, just as shocked, just as shamed as he'd been as a child, except this time he had the added bonus of being a filthy fucking pervert who'd who'd felt that way about what they'd been doing. Shoto avoided everybody for the rest of the day and the next morning. He decided to ask Kotsky for a room of his own. With nothing but the tiny ghost of a smirk, Kotsky agreed. That is the end of chapter five.